Psalm 5 of Expositions on the Book of Psalms by St. Augustine. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The title of Psalm is For Her Who Receiveth the Inheritance. The Church then is signified who receiveth for her inheritance eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ, that she may possess God Himself, in cleaving to whom she may be blessed, according to that. Blessed are the meek, for they shall possess the earth. What earth but that of which it is said, Thou art my hope, my portion in the land of the living. And again more clearly, The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. And conversely, the word church is said to be God's inheritance, according to that, Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance. Therefore is God said to be our inheritance, because he feedeth and sustaineth us. And we are said to be God's inheritance, because he ordereth and ruleth us. Wherefore, it is the voice of the church in this psalm call to her inheritance, that she too may herself become the inheritance of the Lord. Verse 1. Hear my words, O Lord. Being called, she calleth upon the Lord, that the same Lord, being her helper, she may pass through the wickedness of this world and attain unto him. Understand my cry. The psalmist well shows what this cry is, how from within, from the chamber of the heart, without the body's utterance, it reaches unto God, and the bodily voice is heard, but the spiritual is understood. Although this too may be God's hearing, not with carnal ear, but in the omnipresence of his majesty. Attend thou to the voice of my supplication. That is, to that voice which he maketh request that God would understand, of which what the nature is he hath already intimated, when he said, verse 2, Understand my cry, attend thou to the voice of my supplication, my King and my God. Although both the Son is God, and the Father God, and the Father and the Son together one God, and if asked of the Holy Ghost, we must give no other answer than that He is God. And when the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost are mentioned together, we must understand nothing else than one God. Nevertheless, Scripture is wont to give the appellation of King to the Son, according then to that which is said, By me man cometh to the Father. Rightly it is first my King, and then my God. And yet has not the psalmist said, Attend ye, but attend thou. For the Catholic faith preaches not two or three gods, but the very Trinity, one God. Not that the same Trinity can be together, now the Father, now the Son, now the Holy Ghost, as Sibelius believed. But that Father must be none but the Father, and the Son, none but the Son, and the Holy Ghost, none but the Holy Ghost and this trinity but one God. Hence, when the apostle has said, of whom are all things, by whom are all things, in whom are all things, he is believed to have conveyed an intimation of the very trinity. Yet he did not add, to them be glory, but to him be glory, because I will pray unto thee. Verse 3. O Lord, in the morning thou wilt hear my voice. What does that which he said above, hear thou, mean, as if he desired to be heard immediately? 
But now he saith, In the morning thou wilt hear. Not hear thou, and I will pray unto thee. Not I do pray unto thee. And as follows, In the morning I will stand by thee, and will see. Not I do stand by thee, and do see. Unless perhaps this former prayer marks the invocation itself, but being in darkness amidst the storms of this world, he perceives that he does not see what he desires, and yet does not cease to hope, for hope that is seen is not hope. Nevertheless, he understands why he does not see, because the night is not yet past, that is, the darkness which our sins have merited. He says, therefore, because I will pray unto thee, O Lord, that is, because thou art so mighty, to whom I shall make my prayer, in the morning thou wilt hear my voice. Thou art not he, he says, that can be seen by those from whose eyes the night of sins is not yet withdrawn. When the night then of my error is past, and the darkness gone, which by my sins I have brought upon myself, then thou wilt hear my voice. Why then did he say above not, Thou wilt hear, but hear thou. It is that after the church cried out, Hear thou, and was not heard, she perceived what must needs pass away to enable her to be heard. Or is it that she was heard above, but doth not yet understand that she was heard, because she doth not yet see by whom she hath been heard? And what she now says, in the morning thou wilt hear. She would have thus taken. In the morning I shall understand that I have been heard. Such is that expression, Arise, O Lord, that is, make me arise. But this latter is taken of Christ's resurrection. But at all events, that scripture, The Lord your God proveth you, that he may know whether ye love him, cannot be taken in any other sense than that ye by him may know, and that it may be evident to yourselves what progress ye have made in his love. In the morning I will stand by thee, and will see. What is, I will stand, but I will not lie down. Now what else is to lie down but to take rest on the earth, which is a seeking happiness in earthly pleasures? I will stand by, he says, and will see. We must not then cleave to things earthly, if we would see God, who is beheld by a clean heart. Verses 5 and 6. For thou art not a God who hath pleasure in iniquity. The malignant man shall not dwell near thee, nor shall the unrighteous abide before thine eyes. Thou hatest all that work iniquity. Thou wilt destroy all that speak a lie. The man of blood and the crafty man the Lord will abominate. Iniquity, malignity, lying homicide craft, and all the like, are the night of which we speak, on the passing away of which the morning dawns, that God may be seen. He has unfolded the reason, then why he will stand by in the morning and see. For he says, Thou art not a God who has pleasure in iniquity. For if he were a God who had pleasure in iniquity, he could be seen even by the iniquitous, so that he would not be seen in the morning, that is, when the night of iniquity is over. The malignant man shall not dwell near thee. 
that is, he shall not so see, as to cleave to thee. Hence follows, nor shall the unrighteous abide before thine eyes. For their eyes, that is, their mind is beaten back by the light of truth, because of the darkness of their sins, by the habitual practice of which they are not able to sustain the brightness of right understanding. Therefore, even they who see sometimes, that is, who understand the truth, are yet still unrighteous. They abide not therein through love of those things which turn away from truth, for they carry about with them their night, that is, not only the habit, but even the love of sinning. But if this night shall pass away, that is, if they shall cease to sin, and this love and habit thereof be put to flight, the morning dawns, so that they not only understand, but also cleave to the truth. Thou hast hated all that work iniquity. God's hatred may be understood from that form of expression by which every sinner hates the truth. For it seem that she too hates those whom she suffers not to abide in her. Now they do not abide who cannot bear the truth. Thou wilt destroy all that speak a lie. For this is the opposite to truth. But lest anyone should suppose that any substance or nature is opposed to truth, let him understand that a lie has a relation to that which is not, not to that which is. For if that which is be spoken, truth is spoken. But if that which is not be spoken, it is a lie. Therefore saith he, Thou wilt destroy all that speak a lie. Because, drawing back from that which is, they turn aside to that which is not. Many lies, indeed, seem to be for someone's safety or advantage, spoken not in malice, but in kindness. Such was that of those midwives in Exodus, who give a false report to Pharaoh, to the end that the infants of the children of Israel might not be slain. But even these are praised not for the fact, but for the disposition shown, since those who only lie in this way will attain in time to a freedom from all lying. For in those that are perfect, not even these lies are found. For to these it is said, Let there be in your mouth, yea, yea, nay, nay. Whatsoever is more is of evil. Nor is it without reason written in another place, The mouth that lieth slayeth the soul. Lest any should imagine that the perfect and spiritual man ought to lie for this temporal life, in the death of which no soul is slain, neither his own nor another's. But since it is one thing to lie, another to conceal the truth, if indeed it be one thing to say what is false, another not to say what is true, if happily one does not wish to give a man up even to this visible death, he should be prepared to conceal what is true, not to say what is false, so that he may neither give up him nor a lie, lest he slay his own soul for another's body. But if he cannot yet do this, let him at all events admit only lies of such necessity that he may attain to be freed even from these, if they alone remain, and receive the strength of the Holy Ghost, whereby he may despise all that must be suffered for the truth's sake. In fine, there are two kinds of lies, in which there is no great fault, and yet they are not without fault, either when we are in jest or when we lie that we may do good. That first kind, in jest, is for this reason not very hurtful, 
because there is no deception, for he to whom it is said knows that it is said for the sake of jest. But the second kind is for this reason the more inoffensive, because it carries with it some kindly intention, that is to say, truth, that which has no duplicity, cannot even be called a lie. As if, for example, a sword be entrusted to anyone, and he promises to return it, when he who entrusted it to him shall demand it. If he chance to require his sword, when in a fit of madness, it is clear it must not be returned then, lest he kill either himself or others, until the soundness of mind be restored to him. Here, then, is no duplicity, because he to whom the sword was entrusted, when he promised that he would return it at the other's demand, did not imagine that he could require it when in a fit of madness. But even the Lord concealed the truth when he said to the disciples, Not yet strong enough, I have many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. And the Apostle Paul, when he said, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. Whence it is clear that it is not blamable, sometimes not to speak what is true, but to say what is false. It is not found to have been allowed to the perfect. The man of blood and the crafty man the Lord will abominate. What he said above, thou hast hated all that work iniquity, thou wilt destroy all that speak a lie, may well seem to be repeated here, so that one may refer the man of blood to the worker of iniquity, and the crafty man to the lie. For it is craft when one thing is done, another pretended. He used an apt word too when he said, will abominate. For the disinherited are usually called abominated. Now this psalm is, for her who receiveth the inheritance. And she adds the exulting joy of her hope in saying, verse 7, But I, in the multitude of thy mercy, will enter into thine house. In the multitude of mercy, perhaps he means in the multitude of perfected and blessed men, of whom that city shall consist, of which the church is now in travail, and is bearing few by few, now that many men regenerated and perfect are rightly called the multitude of God's mercy, who can deny? When it is most truly said, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? I will enter into thine house as a stone into a building, I suppose is the meaning. For what else is the house of God than the temple of God, of which it is said, For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are? of which building he is the cornerstone, whom the power and wisdom of God, co-eternal with the Father, assumed. I will worship at thy holy temple, in thy fear. The temple we understand as near the temple, for he does not say, I will worship in thy holy temple, but I will worship at thy holy temple. It must be understood, too, to be spoken not of perfection, but of progress towards perfection so that the words, I will enter into thine house, should signify perfection. But that this may come to a happy issue, I will first, he says, worship at thy holy temple. And perhaps on this account he added, in thy fear, which is a great defense to those that are advancing towards salvation. But when any one shall have arrived there, in him comes to pass that which is written, Perfect love casteth out fear. For they do not fear him who is now their friend, 
to whom it is said, Henceforth I will not call you servants, but friends, when they have been brought through to that which was promised. Verse 8. O Lord, lead me forth in thy justice because of mine enemies. He has here sufficiently plainly declared that he is on his onward road, that is, in progress towards perfection. Not yet in perfection itself, when he desires eagerly that he may be led forth, but in thy justice, not in that which seems so to men, for to return evil for evil seems justice. But it is not his justice of whom it is said, He maketh his son to rise on the good and on the evil. For even when God punishes sinners, he does not inflict his evil on them, but leaves them to their own evil. Behold, the psalmist says, He travailed with injustice. He hath conceived toil and brought forth iniquity. He hath opened a ditch and digged it, and hath fallen into the pit which he wrought. His pain shall be turned on his own head, and his iniquity shall descend on his own pate. When then God punishes, he punishes as a judge those that transgress the law, not by bringing evil upon them from himself, but driving them on to that which they have chosen, to fill up the sum of their misery. But man, when he returns evil for evil, does it with an evil will, and on this account is himself first evil, when he would punish evil. Direct in thy sight my way. Nothing is clearer than that he here sets forth that time in which he is journeying onward. For this is the way which is traveled not in any regions of the earth, but in the affections of the heart. In thy sight, he says, direct my way, that is, where no man sees, who are not to be trusted in their praise or blame. For they can in no wise judge of another man's conscience, wherein the way toward God is traversed. Hence it is added, verse 9, for truth is not in their mouth. To whose judgment, of course, then, there is no trusting, and therefore must we fly within to conscience. In the sight of God, their heart is vain. How then can truth be in their mouth, whose heart is deceived by sin and the punishment of sin? Once men are called back by that voice, wherefore do ye love vanity and seek a lie? Their throat is an open sepulchre. It may be referred to significant gluttony, for the sake of which men often lie by flattery. And admirably has he said, an open sepulchre. For this gluttony is ever gaping with open mouth, not as sepulchres which, on the reception of corpses, are closed up. This also may be understood hereby, that with lying and blind flattery men draw to themselves those whom they entice to sin, and as it were devour them, when they turn them to their own way of living. And when this happens to them, since they sin, they die. Those by whom they are led along are rightly called open sepulchres, for themselves too are in a manner lifeless, being destitute of the life of truth. And they take in to themselves dead men, whom having slain by lying words and a vain heart, they turn unto themselves. With their tongues they deal craftily, that is, with evil tongues. For this seems to be signified when he says their own. 
For the evil have evil tongues, that is, they speak evil, when they speak craftily, to whom the Lord saith, How can ye, being evil, speak good things? Verse 10. Judge them, O God, let them fall from their own thoughts. It is a prophecy, not a curse, for he does not wish that it should come to pass, but he perceives what will come to pass. For this happens to them, not because he appears to have wished for it, but because they are such as to deserve that it should happen. For so also what he says afterwards, let all that hope in thee rejoice. He says by way of prophecy, since he perceives that they will rejoice. Likewise it is said prophetically, stir up thy strength and come. For he saw that he would come. Although the words, let them fall from their own thoughts, may be taken thus also, that it may rather be believed to be a wish for their good by the psalmist, whilst they fall from their own evil thoughts, that is, that they may no more think evil. But what follows drive them out forbids this interpretation, for it can in no wise be taken in a favorable sense that one is driven out by God, wherefore it is understood to be said prophetically, and not of ill will. When this is said, which must necessarily happen to such as choose to persevere in those sins which have been mentioned, let them therefore fall from their own thoughts, is let them fall by their own self-accusing thoughts, let their conscience also bearing witness, as the apostle says, and their thoughts accusing or excusing, in the revelation of the just judgment of God according to the multitude of their ungodliness, drive them out. That is, drive them far away. For this is according to the multitude of their ungodliness, that they should be driven far away. The ungodly then are driven out from that inheritance, which is possessed by knowing and seeing God. As diseased eyes are driven out from the shining of light, when what is gladness to others is pain to them, Therefore, these shall not stand in the morning and see. And that expression is as great a punishment as that which is said, but for me it is good to cleave to the Lord, is a great reward. To this punishment is opposed. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. For similar to this expulsion is, cast him into outer darkness. Since they have embittered thee, O Lord, I am, saith he, the bread which came down from heaven. Again, labor for the meat which wasteth not. Again, taste and see that the Lord is sweet. But to sinners the bread of truth is bitter, whence they hate the mouth of him that speaketh the truth. These then have embittered God, who by sin have fallen into such a state of sickliness that the food of truth, in which healthy souls delight, as if it were bitter gall, they cannot bear. Verse 11, And let all rejoice that hope in thee. Those, of course, who taste the Lord is sweet, they will exalt forever, and thou wilt dwell in them. This will be the exaltation forevermore, when the just become the temple of God, and he their indweller will be their joy, and all that love thy name shall glory in thee, as when what they love is present for them to enjoy. And well is it said in thee, as if in profession of the inheritance, 
of which the title of the psalm speaks, when they too are his inheritance, which is intimated by, Thou wilt dwell in them, from which good they are kept back, whom God, according to the multitude of their ungodliness, driveth out. Verse 12, For thou wilt bless the just man. This blessing to glory in God, and to be inhabited by God, such sanctification is given to the just, but that they may be justified, a calling goes before, which is not of merit, but of the grace of God. For all have sinned, and want the glory of God, for whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Since then calling is not of our merit, but of the goodness and mercy of God, he went on to say, O Lord, as with the shield of thy good will thou hast crowned us. For God's good will goes before our good will to call sinners to repentance, and these are the arms whereby the enemy is overcome, against whom it is said, Who will bring accusation against God's elect? Again, if God be for us, who can be against us? Who spared not his only Son, but delivered him up for us all? For if, when we were enemies, Christ died for us, much more being reconciled, shall we be saved from wrath through him. That is, that unconquerable shield, whereby the enemy is driven back, when he suggests despair of our salvation, through the multitude of tribulations and temptations. The whole contents of the psalm, then, are a prayer that she may be heard, from the words, Hear my words. O Lord, unto my King and my God, then follows a view of those things which hinder the sight of God, that is, a knowledge that she is heard, from the words, Because I shall pray unto thee, O Lord, in the morning thou wilt hear my voice. Unto the man of blood and the crafty man the Lord will abominate. Thirdly, she hopes that she who is to be the house of God, even now, begins to draw near to him in fear before that perfection which casteth out fear, from the words, But I, in the multitude of thy mercy, unto I will worship at thy holy temple in thy fear. Fourthly, as she is progressing and advancing amongst those very things which she feels to hinder her, she prays that she may be assisted within, where no man seeth, lest she be turned aside by evil tongues for the words, O Lord, lead me forth in thy justice because of my enemies unto with their tongues they dealt craftily fifthly is a prophecy of what punishment awaits the ungodly when the just man shall scarcely be saved and of what reward the just shall obtain who when they were called came and bore all things manfully till they were brought to the end from the words judge them o god until the end of the psalm End of Psalm 5